You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Friday, May 21st, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com, and today our episode is brought to you by the Peacock and Williamson podcast. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the league. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you are subscribing to Peacock and Williamson, you can also subscribe to this show, Locked On Jets. This is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets also part of the Locked On Podcast Network with new episodes Monday through Friday. If you subscribe, we will deliver new episodes to your device each morning as they are posted. And I'd like to begin the show with a special shout out to subscribers. Joining me today for the latest installment of the Listener Spotlight series is Kevin. Kevin, thanks so much for joining today. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. So, Kevin, how did you become a Jets fan? Basically, my dad uh, grew up on Long Island and his dad was a Jets fan. So it's kind of just in the, in the DNA. It was how I was raised and we had season tickets in uh, the old giant stadium. So grew up going to a bunch of games and uh, have, have stuck with them through, through thick and, and thin. So this is always a little bit of an awkward question because on some level answering this will tell us your age but when did you start really following the team yeah so mid mid 2000s um my earliest you know the, the first game i went to was jets cowboys in 03 and i think it was a, a Vinny testaverde game um and i really really kind of got into it in the uh in the pennington years like 0506 or some of my my earliest jets memories um, you know, Curtis Martin and, and all those guys, Wayne Corbett is, you know, one of, one of my personal favorites. So those were, those were the teams that I really started first paying attention to and have, have, you know, been a pretty big fan ever since. That Jets Cowboys game. I kind of remember that game because that was a game the Jets lost. And as you said, mentioned it was a Testaverde game because that was the year Pennington got hurt in preseason. Is anything memorable really stick out to that game for you you know i i remember you know like uh unfortunately a feeling that us jet fans are kind of used to just the disappointment i was so excited to be at my first game you know i think i was eight years old um and you know i was you know the first time in an nfl stadium and i was really pumped to see you know curtis martin and Vinny testaverde and and you know there was the Bill Parcells headline that he was coming back and I was so excited to, to watch the jets. And, um, you know, unfortunately that was the, the start of what would be a lot of, uh, disappointing games over the years. So that's, that's my, my biggest memory from that specific game. You know, Kevin is funny because I always talk about like my initiation to rooting for the Jets and it came 10 years earlier. 1993 was the first season I remember watching 
and that year the Jets were eight and five. And I think they needed to win like one game to make the playoffs and they lost their last three games, including this horrible game, the second to last week of the season in Buffalo, where the kicker missed three field goals. And it's a very similar story. It's just I, I think I've had 10, 10 years longer to deal with the suffering. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And unfortunately, what the, the scenario you just described, we, we uh, <laughs> would go through many more times. Um, so it's yeah, you know, it hasn't been the, the most uh, the easiest fandom you know especially i grew up in pennsylvania around a bunch of steelers fans and um we we know how they've gone you know the last 10 20 years and uh it's it's been tough but uh like i said stick with them and just just always am am hoping for the best absolutely in the end it will all pay off and i think i feel like we all have the same story it's just a question of how long we've been experiencing that story yeah yeah for sure so you mentioned 05, 06 was the period where you really started to get into the team. What are some of your best memories from those years? I think the one that, that really sticks out was that that uh, that playoff run with Herm Edwards is my my kind of earliest memory of, of good Jets football and really getting hooked. Um, you know, I remember that, that Chargers game uh, in the playoffs. I think it was the wild card round. And just being so excited that we actually had a, a playoff contending team only to, uh, you know, I think the next game was that Steelers game and Doug Bryan, like you mentioned before, foreshadowing missed three field goals. I think it was uh, that would have put us ahead. So, you know, I was, I was, that was my fondest memory from, from that time period. And um, really kind of when I got, got hooked and started following them like every day, reading the website, reading the the coverage on ESPN. And, and yeah, just that, that Chargers game was awesome. But then the Doug Bryan debacle that, that followed was, was pretty painful. I remember that that was the, I think it was the 04 season, but it was the 05 playoffs. And yeah, they, they won that game in, in San Diego against the Chargers. That was, if you weren't a Jets fan at that time, that was Drew Brees' breakout season with the Chargers. And they had beaten the Chargers week two of that year, and they had they ended up making the playoffs, and they were not playing that well going into the playoffs, and everybody thought the Chargers were going to beat them. And the Jets went out there, had this really gutty win over, the, over San Diego. And they then played Pittsburgh, a game nobody gave them a chance in, and they were right there. They had a chance to win it. They were up, I believe, 17-7 at one point. The game got to 17-17, and then Doug Bryan misses a couple of field goals. Although, Kevin, I always feel like Doug Bryan gets too much of the blame. And hear me out. I know you're going to say I'm crazy. I blame the coaches just as much as Doug Bryan. Because if you go back to that situation, the coaches, did once the Jets got on like the fringes of field goal range in that game, the coaches got very conservative. They did not want to put the ball up. And Bryan was a shaky kicker. And that stadium was notorious for being a difficult place to kick field goals in. And I've always felt that Brian got too, now he deserves some of the, I'm not saying he's blameless. I always felt he got too much of the blame and the coaches did not get enough, of the, did not get enough of the blame for that. What do you think? Yeah. You, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll support that, that criticism. Um, you know, I mean, and it's not just a Jets thing, right? Kickers are always the easiest uh, scapegoat, but um, you know, being pretty young at the time, I don't really remember the, uh, the particular strategy of that game, 
what is always just going to stick out in my mind is Doug Bryant, you know, shanking all those field goals. So, oh, yeah. so I'll, I'll take your point. And here, here's the thing that just kills me about that is that he missed the first one and the game's tied 17-17 and it just feels like this, it's the worst feeling you can have as a fan because you feel like your team just blew a chance to win a game. And then Ben Roethlisberger throws this duck that the Jets pick off and they're right back in business. And like the coaches, now they're on like the fringes of field goal range. And you just saw this guy miss a field goal. So why don't you try and get the ball closer? It's like you saw this guy can't make a kick, can't make a long kick and you don't try and get it closer. Oh, don't I know it? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So the just, just. Only, yeah. I'm sorry. The only thing that gives me a little bit of solace is the fact that they would have played New England the next week and they probably would have lost. But right. That was a. Yeah. That, that's actually, a, I think, one of like the underrated Jets teams, that 04 team, because they had a. I mean, if Pennington had not gotten hurt that year, he was playing hurt through the playoffs. If Pennington had not gotten hurt, I feel like they actually would have had a chance to make some noise. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, you you, you talk about the the Pennington injuries, and then you can you can fast forward it, you know, a couple years and the the Favre year with the Favre injury, I think a lot of times we're just kind of sitting around, you know, from that time period thinking like, Oh, what, what could these teams have been if, if Pennington never hurt his throwing shoulder, you know, cause it's not like it was his, his foot or, you know, something that is pretty insignificant to a quarterback. Like we're talking about torn rotator cuff, however many times in his throwing shoulder and, you know, always just kind of sat around and, and <laughs> think about what, what could have been if, if Pennington didn't get hurt or, um, you know, if, if Favre fessed up, you know, in, in that year and took himself out, you know, just, just a lot of instances like that as, as Jets fans, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, like everybody always talks about Pennington's lack of arm strength and listen, before the injuries, I'm not going to say he was like Matthew Stafford or Jay Cutler. He did not have that kind of arm, but his arm was not bad. It wasn't a terrible arm before he got hurt. Now, after he got hurt, I mean, it was, a, it was a miracle he could play effectively. It was a testament to how smart he was and how accurate he was that he was able to, yeah. you know, I mean, his arm was really not NFL caliber after the injuries. He still managed to be effective for a couple of years. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I was always, you know, him being kind of the first, the first quarterback on the Jets that I really followed. I was always a, a Pennington defender, you know, when, when all the Kellen Clemens controversy or whatever you want to call that weird uh period in in, in jet fandom was i was always a always a pennington loyalist um you know up until they signed Favre eventually and shipped him off to the dolphins i don't know i don't know, remember if they caught him or if they tra- ended up trading him but um yeah that was they a, caught him. We- it was a weird time it was a weird time for sure <laughs> it definitely I want to move on to the Favre years, but you mentioned Kellen Clemens. I mean, do you have any mem- memories from that brief period where we all hoped Ke- Kellen Clemens could be the long-term solution to quarterback? Yeah, I, you know, I think I think my memory was was not agreeing with <laughs> with the rest of the the fan base. Everyone was ready to to kick Pennington to the curb and and you know get on the Clemens bandwagon. And I was always remembered, you know, being pretty vocal that I I just did not see anything special about. Kellen Clemens, I did not think, you know, he would be anything beyond a, a serviceable backup in the NFL. And, you know, turns out that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's amazing because that pick got a lot of praise when the Jets made it in 2006. They picked him in the second round. And 
really did nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But- I remember there's a clip of some some prominent ESPN draft analyst. I forget who it was saying that Kellen Clemens is like the best quarterback in that draft. And, um, you know, just, just goes to show that that was a, that was a pretty bad take. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including baseball, basketball, hockey, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's talk about your memories from the far of year. Yeah, the Favre year, I mean, and I, I've heard you, um, it's it's come up a little bit this offseason in your podcast, and I always, I always kind of chuckle because it was, you know, over the summer, such a blockbuster signing, and it was on the front page of every New York newspaper, and he was meeting the mayor, and it was all they were talking about on ESPN, and, you know, no one really knew kind of what to expect performance-wise right after the signing, and then I think you know, we were all pleasantly surprised when they went on that, was it eight and two or eight and three uh, run to start the season. And we were all feeling pretty optimistic. I think they, you know, I remember them going up to New England, I think in the regular season and beating them in what was an overtime game on one of those Randy Moss teams. It was a Thursday night um, game. That's right. It was an overtime game. Yeah. And then just like, again, feeling so good about that team and, you know, was hopeful that there would be some sort of playoff run. And then you just watched it slowly deteriorate and just kind of sat around scratching our heads and and thinking like, what, what's going on here? You know, this is like a debacle of epic proportions. And sure enough comes out after the season that Favre was playing with a torn bicep or whatever it was. And, you know, we all, I think had a little more faith in, Mangini than what he got credit for or what he what he actually deserved so um yeah again that was just great great start to ultimately lead to disappointment can I throw out another take on uh on the far of year is it gonna be a controversial take (laughs) go for it this is another area where I blame the coaching staff, and it's from this standpoint, is that the next two seasons, the Jets went to the AFC Championship game with Sanchez as the quarterback. And while Sanchez had his moments, you know, he was clearly a bottom-tier starter, and they relied on the run game those years. And they had the same offensive line. They had Thomas Jones. And I look back at the 2008 season, and I wonder when they knew Favre was hurt, why they did not just go to ground and pound. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a, that's a fair, a fair assessment because I mean, you look at that roster that was surrounding Favre and, you know, eventually it was a very similar roster the next year with Sanchez. Um, You know, that was a very well built team and to, to bring it into, into present times, you know, I, I look at that team and that template and was thinking this off season, I, I personally was, it was kind of a darn old, uh, 
Darnold loyalist myself, and I was I was holding out hope that that we would re-sign him and and try to build around him because you look at what Sanchez did with with Thomas Jones and Braylon Edwards, and we had that stacked you know especially that left side of that offensive line with Debrickishaw and Fanica. Mangold was the anchor in the middle, so I'm and you know the the defense was outstanding as well. And you know I was always thinking like you know what we could potentially build this around Darnold but it's no it you know what what they have now is no nowhere near what that team was in in 08 09 but um yeah it's I I, I can agree with you that again the coaching you know we Mangini definitely was not the uh the man genius that he was proclaimed to be uh after his first couple seasons with the Jets I have I argue that with so many people, and I'm glad I'm glad I finally have some support, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, and then you saw it. I mean, he went to the Browns and did not do any better after that, and has been out of football ever since. So, so let's talk about the Rex years. And I think, like, if you're under 40 or 50 years old, there's a very good chance that for those first two years with Rex Ryan are probably your, the greatest era of Jets football you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it was just, it was just a kind of an attitude change from, from what we were used to, you know, I, I, you know, the, the Herm years were one thing. And then you, you always got this, this feeling that Mangini was kind of this generic Belichick wannabe. And he was trying really hard to mimic that coaching style, but you know, there's only one Bill Belichick and then Rex comes to town and he's this, you know, smash mouth, football kind of in your face like you know you know exactly what we're going to do and we're just going to square up and be better than you and I think that attitude shift was huge for the team and something the fan base really got behind and um, like you said in the beginning that was definitely the the highlight of of my Jets uh, rooting for the Jets Um, you know just those defenses were lights out and the ground and pound style offense that could support a, a bottom tier quarterback like that is, is pretty, pretty outstanding that, you know, they went to two AFC championships with Mark Sanchez as the quarterback. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping similar results with that kind of culture change um, that, that Salah can bring in, especially, you know, when you compare him to what we just went through, which I don't, I don't even want to talk about. <laughs> I, I want to forget that, that the Gase thing ever happened. That was just such a, such a debacle on so many levels, but um, yeah, to your point, the Rex year is definitely the highlight. He who shall not be named. That's what we'll call the coach who was in charge of the Jets the last two years. Yeah, and, you know, I've, I, I I don't know if you've talked about it too much on your podcast, and I, I've definitely seen it, you know, out there in the Twitter sphere and everything, but it was it was just, from the day of the signing, such a predictable result. I I cannot count probably on one hand the the number of Jet fans that either supported the hiring or thought it would end any other way than it exactly what played out. And, you know, I scratch my head and wonder why all of, uh, you know, these these uh, <laughs> Twitter Jet fans seemingly knew more than, than the regime that that brought them in. And, you know, we could go on forever. But but, yeah, it was it was not not great. <laughs> I remember I had Brian Bassett of the, he used to, he was the founder of the Jets blog and he 
was on the show in January. It was right after Gase had been fired. It was his first appearance on the podcast since the night Gase had been they announced that Gase was hired. And Brian went back and listened to that podcast on the night Gase was hired. And Brian, we Brian and I pretty much predicted what the next two years would be like. And we said, I think, it, yeah, I believe at one point we said we said he's going to be gone in two years. Yep. Yep, exactly. And it was, you know, you guys and the guys on WFAN and every single Twitter comment that I saw, it was just, it was unbelievable. I I can't get over it. And, um, you know, I went to, uh, I went to Temple and, you know, I'm a huge Matt Rule fan. And I remember they had him in the building and just, just hearing how that all went down and how they didn't get him. And then they got Gase and then McCagnum was out the door a couple months later. I was just, just sat there and, and, you know, that was, that was the ultimate kind of same old Jets couple months where it was just the most dysfunctional, ridiculous sequence of events that you could, you could possibly conjure up. So yeah, it's, it's been a brutal last two years, but I'm, I'm feeling really good about, about what's coming in. But brutal last 10 years, I would say, with the exception of maybe 2015 <laughs> when they won 10 games. They still missed the playoffs with a horrible performance week 17. But yeah, but I do. I agree with you. I think brighter days are ahead. So let's talk about what you think about the team right now. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, you know, I was kind of hoping that, that they would stick with Darnold and, um, you know, kind of build around him. But, you know understanding from where they were in the draft and the contract situation and everything. I think what they did made sense. I'm a big Joe Douglas fan. I think he has a very, uh, very bright football mind and a, and a great background and has a, a good track record of success from where he was. And I like the moves that he's made both, both in the draft and free agency. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard you talk, you know, leading up to the draft, the, the Justin Fields and, and Zach Wilson kind of debate that was going on. Um, and I did not do nearly the amount of research that, that you or, or others out there have done, but I just distinctly remember watching um, the Clemson, Ohio State playoff game, um, you know, in December or whenever that was, and watching Justin Fields go out there and basically kick Clemson's butt with a cracked rib. So I was always kind of, you know, lean Justin Fields, like the Jets should get this guy. He's a winner. Like he seems like a Robert Sala kind of guy. But, um, you know, definitely, definitely excited to see what Zach Wilson can do. And, and I'm obviously hoping for the best and that I was wrong in my assessment there. Who are some of your favorite players uh, in your time watching the Jets? I think uh, from, you know, when I was younger, definitely Wayne Corbett is one guy that sticks out as just, just an awesome receiver and, and a tough kind of undrafted free agent mentality that he always brought. Um, you know, I really enjoyed watching him and Curtis Martin, um, you know, in those, in those Rex years, obviously Revis, um, David Harris. And I loved the, the anchors we had on the O-line for so many years with Mangold and, and DeBrickishaw Ferguson. And I'm, I'm hoping that that can be replicated with, you know, Becton and, and Vera Tucker. Um, and yeah, you know, like you said, not, not too much uh, positive players to speak of the last 10 ish years. You know, I, I did, I was a big Jamal Adams fan. I was disappointed to see how that all played out. Um, 
but yeah, again, just, just hoping that some of these guys that are recently drafted can, can really blossom and, and help us out in the years to come. And then my last question is the one that I ask everybody who does the listener spotlight. How did you find this podcast? You know, I'm always, always on the hunt for, for jet conversation and, 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 you know, jet content. And I found this, this podcast to be, uh, you're very, you're very fair and also empathetic to the, uh, the sentiments of, of the masses of these, of the jet fans out there. So, um, you know, have been listening for the past couple months and will continue to do so. Kevin, thank you so much for joining today. It was great to chat with you. Yeah, thanks a lot, John. Appreciate it. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this show, give it a five-star review and please subscribe to it where podcasts are found. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll be back Monday to talk more Jets.